The University of Edinburgh in Scotland was loud with chit-chat in the spring of 1863. It was a late afternoon and students were spilling out of the castle-like buildings on campus into the quad, loudly talking about their latest class discussions. It was a glorious day, the kind where the sunshine and spring air are so intoxicating you can't help but go outside. But Elijah McCoy was not outside. He was inside one of those dark, castle-like buildings listening to a lecture. And he was laser-focused. He had to be if he was going to have any chance of having a professional career after college. At the time, Elijah McCoy was a 20-year-old mechanical engineering student from Canada. Shout out! And he had come to Edinburgh because it was the center of intellectual thought. Everything from economic policies to thermodynamics to medicine to literature. It was a very dynamic place for any young intellectual to be at. This is Andrew Moody, a Canadian actor, writer, and Elijah McCoy enthusiast. In the 1800s, the University of Edinburgh was the place to be. Elijah was a math whiz, and he 100% deserved to be at the University of Edinburgh. But he also knew this was a lucky break a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Not only was it rare for a Canadian to go, it was rare for an African-Canadian to go. And it would have cost a lot of money. Elijah wasn't going to waste any of his time here. At the time, if you were going to study mechanical engineering, you also had to know about thermodynamics. Picture lots of math and a lot of abstract laws of physics. Its basic concept, though, is that heat is a form of energy. And that energy can be used for mechanical work. Might sound boring to some people, but trust me, these guys would have been nerding out together because this was a crazy, exciting time to be in this field. Countries everywhere were going headfirst into industrial revolutions. It was the beginning of fast, efficient mechanical production. And mechanical engineers were at the forefront of that change. It was especially cool that Elijah got to study thermodynamics because at that time, all of the trains and factory machines coming out of the Industrial Revolution were running on steam. Steam and heat would soon be Elijah's specialty. In the spring of 1863, after five years of studying abroad in Scotland, Elijah got his mechanical engineering degree, packed his bags, and got on a boat back home to Canada. He was going to take what he had learned and leave his mark on the Industrial Revolution. But what was waiting for him on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean was nothing like what he had expected. Ultimately, that's the fight that Elijah McCoy faced. He was an intelligent human being, but he was living in an era that did not respect him as a human being. From something else in Sony Music Entertainment, this is They Did That, a different kind of history show. I'm Takara Small, and after the break, the story behind the real McCoy, whose inventions changed the course of industrialization. When I was introduced to Elijah McCoy, I was uh, rabidly fascinated. I was just, I was voracious in my desire to soak up everything about him. And when I learned that he was actually born in Canada, I was like, wait a second, so was I. 
Oh, Canada. The country that has its own government reserve of maple syrup. My home, by the way. The home of beaver tails, poutine, and of course, proud Canadians who take any chance to hype up a fellow countryman. Andrew, in true Canadian fashion, has been thinking about his Canadian hero, Elijah McCoy, for years. He even wrote an entire play about him. Andrew grew up in Canada in the 70s, and he was hungry for public figures who looked like him. As an African-Canadian whose parents are of Jamaican descent, at that time, there just weren't a lot of representations of people of color in the media, TV, movies. And the representations that were there largely were offensive. Andrew's dad had made sure to teach him Black history, but there were still a lot of gaps. So when I came across Elijah McCoy's uh, history, and especially that he was a 19th century inventor who studied in Scotland, which even to this day, it's just something that's quite astonishing. It became fascinating to me, and I wanted to tell his story so that his life is not forgotten. That's something I can completely identify with. As a Canadian who's also of Jamaican descent, I didn't hear about Elijah McCoy's story until I was in university, and it makes sense to me why you'd get fixated on it. It's a pretty rare story. When Andrew started looking into Elijah's life, he went deep. He wanted to make sure he could give his actors and crew the details they needed to put on a play about Elijah's life. And it was in that research that Andrew discovered... Elijah's family actually hadn't been in Canada all that long before he was born in 1843. His father was a runaway slave, and uh, he made it up to Canada. Elijah's parents had used the Underground Railroad to get out of the States, because they were looking for a place to live as a family. A place where they would be people, not property. Many African Americans were invited to come to Canada to escape slavery, and they were welcomed into Canada but they were tolerated. What they found in Canada was far from perfect. African-Americans who escaped to Canada came face-to-face with anti-Black laws that denied them access to public services, segregated them from other communities, and restricted employment opportunities. But it wasn't slavery. And for Elijah's parents, it would do. Elijah's dad even joined the Canadian Army, And so the government gave him some land to live off of. And so he had some farmland in southern Ontario. And he raised a number of children. And one of them was Elijah McCoy. Elijah was the third oldest of 12 kids in the McCoy family. And if they had yearbooks back then, he might have been named most likely to change the world. He was a great student. And once he finished his education in Canada, he was able to get a pretty rare opportunity. Because he went to school in Canada, during the 19th century, he was able to study in Edinburgh, Scotland. Scots were early settlers in Canada, so there was a deep tie between the two countries. And when he was just 15 years old, Elijah's parents arranged for him to go to Scotland to become a master mechanical engineer. Of course, he'd have to go by himself. No family. He'd have to travel across the Atlantic Ocean by boat. The journey could have taken anywhere from 6 to 14 weeks. He, like, got on a boat that left from southern Ontario up through the St. Lawrence and then across the Atlantic Ocean and went over to Edinburgh, Scotland. 
So here is Elijah, this 15-year-old kid who's never left Canada. A kid who would be living a completely different life in the States if his parents hadn't escaped slavery. And he's one of the few students of any race going to study abroad at a renowned university. After this point, though, we don't know a whole lot of detail about Elijah's time in Scotland. It's a lot like Shakespeare, man. There's like little bits of information about his life and then nothing. And then a little bit more and then nothing. We don't have any notes, letters, or journals of Elijah's. So a lot of questions remain. If I could talk to Elijah McCoy today, I would absolutely ask him about his time in Scotland. Going to class every day, what was that like? It would be fascinating. Just like even everyday descriptions like, well, what did you eat? You know? And I would want to know about the political situation at the time, like, and about Scotland itself as a culture and how they, they perceived him and how he perceived them. Andrew got a chance to go to Edinburgh once, years ago. On the trip, he found himself wondering if Elijah had noticed the same things as a black man that Andrew noticed walking around town. So I got to go to Edinburgh, Scotland, and I got to, like, walk amongst the, the cemeteries. And, you know, I saw, like, gravestones with my, like, the last name Moody was there. And I was just like, oh, great. This is the forefather of the people who owned my family. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Scotland had only recently stopped enslaving people. What was that like for Elijah? How would he have been treated? Andrew thinks that it's inevitable that some of his classmates would have been racist. But also there would have been people who just were not racist and it would help him to, because he graduated and became a master engineer. So there would be people who just saw him as a human being and saw him as an intellect and saw him as somebody who obviously was able to achieve through his intellect. Whatever his time in Scotland was really like, Elijah McCoy did get a master's certificate in mechanical engineering from the University of Edinburgh. He wasn't naive to racism, but he probably expected that his top-notch training would mean something. At the very least, he'd be able to get a job as an engineer for a manufacturing company or train line. I mean, come on. He just spent years studying under some of the most famous scientists of the time, learning all about thermodynamics, which was directly impacting the industry. No doubt he'd be able to get a job somewhere, right? So in 1863, at 20 years old, Elijah got back on a boat across the Atlantic. But there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity in Canada. There was no way Elijah was going to find the kind of job he wanted in his hometown. So he packed his bags and headed 300 miles southwest. Because just across the border, there was a US state ramping up its manufacturing power. And Elijah wanted to be part of it. He was headed to Michigan. After the break, Elijah goes to Michigan to try to get his foot in the door and take his rightful place in professional engineering circles. Elijah had just spent five years training as a mechanical engineer in Scotland. Now, he was ready to find his intellectual and professional equals. So he looked to America, where the Industrial Revolution was in full swing. And he knew exactly where to go. 
the state of Michigan was a, a hotbed. So Detroit, Ypsilanti, a lot of manufacturing was happening during the 19th century. Michigan was easy to get to from Canada, and conveniently, it had a lot going on. Today, we know Detroit for being the center of car manufacturing. But even before Ford cars came along in the 1900s, Detroit and other Michigan cities were home to tons of factories. We're talking warehouses for all sorts of things, like furniture, papermaking, and even cereal. And of course, whenever these factories are using big machines to automate production, those machines are powered by steam. Ah, good old steam technology. Remember what Elijah was studying in Scotland? Mechanical engineering, thermodynamics, the science of the relationship between heat and other kinds of energy. It was the science of what was happening in these factories. Way before diesel, there was heat and steam. If you were trying to power a factory machine, or even something as big as a train engine, here's how you do it. So back in the old days, a steam engine was basically just this giant metal tank of water that had an oven next to it. And that oven would just take coal and you'd shove coal into that oven to keep it going. And that coal would heat up the steam and that steam would move the, the, the wheels. The pressure from the steam would physically move machinery. That's how steam engines worked. The steam technology was a game changer. Not only were people able to produce more, better, and faster because of steam-powered machinery, but now they could also move their products on trains and sell them all over the country. Steam had opened up a lot of doors in the mid-1800s, and for a mechanical engineer like Elijah, this was a golden opportunity to be part of the action. Anyone working in the industry might have known the basics of steam engines, but Elijah was a top-notch expert in it. He'd been trained in exactly how energy works, how heat is transferred, and how steam can erode things. It's like he was able to see into the future of how this technology might break down and how to fix it. I mean, a dream employee for any factory or train manager. So imagine his surprise when... The best job he could get was shoveling coal. Seriously? Elijah really had the expertise to be one of the most sought-after engineers of his time. But all he got from industry guys in Michigan was, here, go shovel coal. I can only imagine how frustrating it must have been for him to have become a master engineer, but not have the ability, when coming back to America, to act on that and to really fulfill his destiny. Remember, Elijah got to Michigan in 1865, give or take a couple of years. He was probably coming right at the end of the Civil War, and right around when enslaved people started to be emancipated. The Black man's job, according to Elijah's prospective employers, would have been doing manual labor. But what other choice did he have? Elijah had to make a living, so he took the job shoveling coal in a town called Ypsilanti, Michigan. And that, that was a thankless job. It was hot. It was, you know, backbreaking. It was just physical work. Every day, Elijah would show up to the train station and get in the frontmost carriage of a train. There, he'd start shoveling coal into a massive oven. The oven would heat up a water boiler. The water would create steam. 
the pressure of that steam would rotate the train engines and the train would get moving. Day in and day out, Elijah would be on the train, doing the same monotonous work. Shovel coal, boil water, release steam, move train, make a stop. Shovel, water, steam, stop. Shovel, water, steam, stop. Shovel, water, steam, stop. Elijah was on the front lines of this train operation, and because he had the exact right training to understand this technology, he started to notice an issue. My guess is that he saw, as he was shoveling coal into these steam engines, he saw how inefficient they were. There was a basic problem with steam engines, which was that they were needy. But also, unless they were manually maintained every few hours, the steam would actually damage the machinery itself. Heat energy generally just degrades things. And steam is very corrosive to metal. So you have to lubricate a steam engine using oil. Every once in a while, the train would have to be stopped so the machinery could be oiled up. Otherwise, it couldn't keep turning. Eventually, the steam could permanently damage the train, and it was part of Elijah's job to walk around the engine and manually squirt out oil from a can. Imagine being on a train and having to stop every two hours to manually add mineral oil to the engine. Or to be a business owner, expecting a big grocery delivery or the latest shipment from your furniture supplier, only to learn that for some reason, oiling the train took way longer today and there's going to be a delay. And it's not just train companies dealing with this issue. Steam is also being used to power factory machinery. So those guys are running into the same problem. If you keep having to pause production or motion for maintenance, you're going to lose a lot of time and money. So while Elijah was working on this train, he got to thinking, what if instead of manually squirting oil onto a steam engine, there is a device that would do it for you? This instinct is actually what drew Andrew to write about Elijah's story in the first place. Elijah was working a thankless job, completely disrespected and brushed aside. But here he was, looking at the possibilities instead of the losses. As an artist, there's something that I appreciate about inventors, because inventors are problem solvers. And so are artists. They're scientists, but they're also artists. In their mind, they have the possibility of what can be in the future. Andrew loves that Elijah took this abysmal situation of having to work in the boiler room and turned it around to not only help himself, but change the course of an entire technological moment. Elijah saw the problem with having to constantly manually oil a steam engine, and he had the training to fix it. So using his engineering skill, Elijah McCoy developed a system to keep a, a steam engine lubricated while it was running. He created quite an ingenious way of getting a lubricant into the pistons of the engine continually so that the train never had to stop to be oiled up. That means no more needy steam engines complaining about needing lubricant. Elijah basically said, here, lubricate yourself. The device he created was called the oil drip cup. It was a cup full of oil, exactly what it sounds like. And it would be installed next to the machinery. 
It regularly dispensed oil, which would then be pumped through the engine with steam pressure. Elijah had created an easy-to-use lubricator that didn't need so much human maintenance. Now, you could keep the train running or the factory machine working as long as you have the coal. The oil drip cup would absolutely be a hit. But like any good inventor, Elijah had to experiment and test his creation, a process that took him two years. In the meantime, he kept shoveling coal. Elijah had also gotten married a couple years before. He and his wife probably settled down into a simple rhythm of life. Maybe every day, Elijah would leave their small house to go work in the boiler room. And maybe at night, they'd have dinner together before Elijah would get to work on his oil drip cup experiments. It had been almost 10 years since he'd left Scotland, and Elijah was hitting a wall. He'd thought he could come to the States to make a name for himself. But instead of being in Detroit, in the hubbub of change and innovation, Elijah was living in this small town. And instead of being welcomed into a professional community, he was working in the boiler room of a train. I wonder if at this point, it was hard for Elijah to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And to make it worse, just a few years into his marriage, Elijah's wife suddenly passed away. Elijah was only 29. I can only imagine how hard that must have been for him. But just to keep going, that's, you know, that's partially like at the center of being a Victorian person, being of that era, being 19th century. Like, you just suffer and you keep going. And he did. Elijah kept going. In 1872, the same year that his wife passed away, Elijah also finally got a patent for the oil drip cup. He titled the patent Improvement in Lubricators for Steam Engines. But actually, his invention wasn't an improvement on an existing thing. It was a first, and everyone knew it. The oil drip cup might seem like a little thing, but it turned manufacturing and transportation upside down. What you had before Elijah's invention was a machine that couldn't function for more than two hours without human maintenance. And that was counter to the whole point of industrialization. It's counter to everything technology strives to be now, to be fast and efficient. But with the oil drip cup, suddenly all the engines and machinery of the time was working more efficiently, more reliably. And because of that, the economy could pick up pace. Elijah was able to manufacture and sell the oil drip cup. And all those same railroad guys who made him shovel coal were now tripping over themselves to get their hands on the invention. So were all those people operating steam-powered machinery in factories. His oil drip cup was that big of a game changer at the time. Elijah was even asked by some railroad companies to supervise the installation of the oil drip cup. This should have been his ticket into the industry. And then other people, because the system became so popular, of course, other companies started up and they started making these lubricating devices for steam engines. Yeah, people started making knockoff oil drip cups. Instead of throwing their hands up in celebration that someone had come up with a solution to their dreaded steam engine woes, other guys in the industry started trying to copy Elijah's invention. 
And that wasn't just typical business competition. First of all, the white people starting up these copycat brands were using derogatory words to talk about Elijah's invention. So we know racism was at the heart of the issue. They would say, oh, wait, there's no way I'm going to buy something made by an (laughs) African-American. They wouldn't use that word. (laughs) They would use a different word. And then they even had the nerve to make less efficient models of the oil drip cup and try to pass it off as quality. They were like, oh, the thing that black guy made? That's not so hard. I could do it. Except they really couldn't, at least not nearly as well as Elijah did. But they could get away with it because they knew that even if their stuff was aggressively mediocre, there would be a lot of customers choosing their brand over Elijah's. And story goes, even the people on his own manufacturing team told Elijah, sorry, but maybe you should stop being the face of this invention. It'll only hurt sales. I don't think it's wildly absurd to think that he would have suffered from discrimination. I think it's actually guaranteed that he would have suffered from discrimination. After years of working a back-breaking job and then working overtime to find a way into the professional society he should have been in from the start, this was Elijah's chance to prove himself. And he did. He proved himself more than was even imaginable. His invention changed everything. But still, the white men in his industry weren't willing to admit it. Elijah had made it so easy for them to succeed. Like, please, just buy the darn oil drip cup and be on your merry industrialist way. But no, these guys just couldn't accept a black man as their equal. Elijah's invention was still selling because it was hands down the best automatic lubricator out there. But if he was going to really leave his mark on history, Elijah would need to find his people. After the break, Elijah goes looking for his community. It was 1872, and a 29-year-old Elijah McCoy was trying to wrap his head around what had just happened. He'd invented an automatic lubricator for steam engines, and it was a huge success, right? So why did it feel like he was back at square one? Back at home, trying to figure out what to do next. But this time, as a widower. Elijah had made some money off the lubricator sales, Though probably only enough to leave his boiler room job. But also to the lives of inventors, it's kind of like being an actor. You live a little from from one patent to the next, and you're constantly searching for the next big thing that you're going to invent. And that's just the life of every inventor, and especially like 19th century inventors. Oh my God. Today, big companies do a lot of the innovating. I mean, there are still independent inventors around. Think Shark Tank but mostly it's big companies. Back in Elijah's day, though, things were different. Back then, independent inventors were really the heart of innovation. The newspapers even had a new patents announcement section for people who had invented something in their area. Elijah wasn't able to get into the engineering circles in Michigan, but he could transition to being an independent full-time inventor. He was going to leave those railroad guys behind. And who better to help him do that than a new wife? Behind every great man, right? 
1873, just a year after Elijah started selling his invention, he met a woman named Mary Eleanor Delaney, and they quickly got married. His wife was a member of high society in Detroit. They had a good living, and they were well respected. Mary was like Elijah in a lot of ways. She was only a few years younger than him and was also born to a formerly enslaved couple. Actually, she was born in an underground railroad station in Indiana. Like Elijah, Mary was fiercely smart, and she too had been married once before. She was also completely tuned in to the historical moment. She was a huge part of black women's clubs in Detroit. These clubs had basically started off as social gatherings, but turned into social movements. Of course, being a woman in the 19th century, there are reduced options for what you can do, how, what work you can do, what you can study, what you can achieve. But these women, these powerhouse women, fought for uh, the rights of African-Americans with the NAACP. She was also a member of the National Association of Colored Women, the NACW, and she also fought for women's suffrage. Mary was in the right place. Detroit was not just a hub for manufacturing and engineering. It was also a center for Black activism. This was the beginning of the Jim Crow era. It was a moment when one side was trying to imagine a new, equitable future, while the other side was trying to recreate the past with new laws. As Mary got more and more well-known in the elite Black community in Detroit, Elijah did too. I picture them getting together at a friend's house for dinner. All the club women like Mary are there with their partners and friends. There's chatter, gossip, eating, and dancing. Elijah is there too, though I kind of think he'd be in a quieter spot, talking with a friend about his latest invention. These are all people who were just recently emancipated or are the children of formerly enslaved people. No one has generational wealth and no one is putting on a show. Instead, they're creating a space to exist freely together, and they're building a movement to fight for their own rights. In the African-American community, even to this day, if you get to a certain level of achievement, then you automatically have a responsibility and a duty. Mary and Elijah would have been going to these gatherings in the era of Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth. It was the time of activists and orators like Booker T. Washington, who we know was friendly with the McCoys. Definitely a few people would have gotten on a soapbox to talk about the latest news from Washington or the fight for women's suffrage. It seems like everyone understood that now that they were free, it was up to them to protect their community. There's evidence, apparently, of Elijah McCoy offering philanthropic opportunities to African-Americans. From what I understand, he did it because he felt, especially at that time, that it was his duty to do so. And that to survive, the African-American community had to become collective. Not only to survive financially, but also to literally physically survive. Mary and Elijah McCoy founded and donated to a few organizations. And from what we can tell, they were involved in their community till the very end of their lives. Elijah also kept inventing all throughout his life. 
By the time he passed away in 1929, Elijah had patented dozens of improvements and spin-offs of his original lubricator design, and he threw a few curveballs in there too. He made a number of patents, many, many patents. Uh, he had a patent for a kind of ironing board. He had a patent for a, a lawn sprinkler. And those patents helped to fund his research. In the end, Elijah patented 57 inventions in the U.S. and a few extra in Europe. But his accomplishments and legacy were never acknowledged by his white counterparts. Instead, it was Booker T. Washington securing Elijah's legacy in history in his 1909 book, Story of the Negro. Booker T. Washington wrote about Elijah McCoy and about having more patents than any other black inventor at that time. Elijah probably had the same drive to innovate at the end of his life as he did when he was just that 15-year-old kid getting ready to go off to Scotland. But who knows what would have happened had Elijah not met Mary? Would he have bounced back so strongly after his professional peers rejected him? Would he have found another kind of community? And if he had... Would any of his accomplishments been saved? Would we know about his legacy today? Elijah McCoy, the engineer and inventor, will always be most well-known for his revolutionary oil drip cup. Whether or not other white engineers would ever admit it, his invention was the best of its time, and it came in at just the right moment in industrialization. The oil drip cup pushed all kinds of innovation forward. Some version of it even appeared in oil drilling and mining equipment. It seems like a little thing, like inventing this steam engine lubricator seems like a little thing, but it actually allowed factories to work longer. It allowed steamships to travel farther. It just helped move steam technology forward. In fact, maybe you've heard the phrase, the real McCoy used, when someone wants something that's the real deal, the good stuff, the top shelf. Well, legend has it, the phrase is actually about Elijah McCoy's invention, that when people would buy his machine part, they'd ask for the real McCoy, and not one of those knockoffs. He really did accomplish something quite extraordinary. And the principles behind the technology that he used is still used today. Without Elijah's work, we wouldn't be where we are now. His invention changed the course of industrialization, but he's nowhere near as recognized as the Robert Fulton and Alexander Graham Bells of the world. Today, there are just a few ways Elijah's work is remembered. In Ypsilanti, Michigan, where he first lived and worked in the States, there's a historical marker with his story on it. In Detroit, there's a patent and trademark office and a neighborhood named after him. And in 2001, Elijah McCoy was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame. But it's interesting. I don't think Elijah would even have had this amount of recognition without his community. He didn't take meticulous notes about his work or process. But also, there were just so many people who tried to kill his legacy. When he invented the oil drip cup, White engineers did everything they could to push him out of the game. Their version of history didn't mention Elijah McCoy at all. The reason we know about Elijah today is because Booker T. Washington mentioned him in his book, and because Mary McCoy left a mark in her community and shared his name. 
We know about Elijah because Andrew Moody did a lot of digging and wrote a play about him. Elijah McCoy left Scotland as a student back in 1863, thinking his profession was going to secure his name in history. But in the end, it was his community that upheld his legacy. What history should we tell next? We want to hear from you. Email us at theydidthat at sonymusic.com. Next time on They Did That. Blacks and whites were together drinking and dancing. So it was a very um, intense and exciting environment. And the assumption is that that's where Addie and Men Ray would have met. I thought, how could people look at this dynamic figure and not want to know more and not ask more questions. They Did That is presented by me, Takara Small. This episode was written and produced by Ava Amebegi. Our associate producers are Camilla Kashani and Serena Chow. This episode was edited by Megan Dietry and Jasmine Romero. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. Engineering and sound design by Rick Kwan. Our production coordinator is Lily Hambly, and our original theme song is by Cedric Wilson. <laughs>